Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Good morning, everybody. I'm hoping, let me get this out of the way. That's better. Good morning. Great to see all of you. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathaniel, uh, and some of you might know that I am studying aeronautical engineering. So I'll warn you now, I've had to include some engineering-related analogies today. So keep an eye out for them. Uh, They're in there. They're not too complicated. I'm not trying to go over your heads. So I've kept them nice and simple. Uh, But (laughs) we'll be reading from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25 today. Uh, So if you get that open in your Bibles, uh, but first let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we have your word to to study and read through. Uh, We thank you for the band and the team involved today uh, in helping us to worship you uh, and to learn more about you uh, this morning. Uh, So we pray that you'd bless us as we open your word uh, and read from it. Uh, And we pray that you would speak to us through that uh, and help us to learn more about you. Amen. Great. We are continuing our Seeing Jesus sermon series in Luke's Gospel today. So let's read from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. I'll be reading from the ESV translation, but uh, it should be fairly similar to whatever other translations you've got. Perfect. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Storms are big, scary, and unstoppable as far as we're concerned. No man-made machine can even come close to generating the energy that is in a storm. And this is where my first aerospace-related analogy fits in, right at the start. Uh, NASA made some very clever calculations recently, and they found out that the average hurricane expends as much energy in total as approximately 10,000 nuclear bombs. So that's enough energy to power the world's electricity supply for 200 days, just in one hurricane. So even a relatively small storm could expend hundreds, if not thousands, of nuclear bombs worth of energy in its lifetime. What's it measured in? It's measured in joules, which is, uh, (laughs) if you want the number, NASA can give you all the details. It is is available online. Uh, But of course, the disciples don't know these numbers. Uh, They've experienced this storm firsthand. The Sea of Galilee was well known for its sudden storms, which appear quickly and violently because of the topology nearby. Some of you might remember that a few of the disciples were actually fishermen on the Sea of Galilee before they met Jesus. So we can expect that they were aware of these storms, and maybe some of them had experienced them before. But even these seasoned sailors are scared in this storm. They're they're terrified. Uh, They're at the peril of potentially thousands of nuclear bombs worth of energy, and Luke tells us that they were in danger. In Greek, he uses the absolute version of that word, 
He's not saying they felt like they were in danger. He's saying they were. And this may sound like a reasonable reaction. They're seeing water coming into the boat, and they're stuck in this storm which isn't stopping, so it'd be very easy for the boat to sink. And bear in mind, the disciples aren't in the latest CP420, unsinkable, self-writing, water-jet-powered lifeboat. This is what the Italian Coast Guard recently purchased. It's designed to withstand the roughest of seas. It can right itself if it's flipped over, and it claims to be unsinkable. And while it might not give you the smoothest ride, I would trust it to keep me alive in a storm. But the disciples aren't in this. They probably have a small, old, wooden rowing or sailing boat, which is certainly not unsinkable or self-writing. Even so, it must have been quite a big storm for the disciples with sailing experience on the lake to reach the level of fear that we see in this passage. And while the disciples are panicking in their boat, where's Jesus? He's cool as a cucumber. He is asleep on the boat. And this is the first place we're going to stop and look today, Jesus taking a nap. For a start, Jesus sleeping shows us his human nature. He spent the day teaching his followers in Capernaum, so he's tired and he needs some sleep. Sleep is a human trait, so this serves as a reminder of Jesus' humanity. Jesus is fully man, and he needs as much sleep as the rest of us. But let's not forget that Jesus is also fully God. So he knows what's going to happen out on the lake. He knows that a storm is coming, but he trusts God the Father and still goes to sleep. It happens again and again throughout the Gospels that Jesus makes time for rest, recovery, and private prayer amidst his busy life. He makes the most of the opportunity to sleep on the boat in the security that his Father will protect him. And in the same way, we are encouraged to make time to rest even in storms, the knowledge that God is watching over us should give us peace uh, and encouragement to do that. Jesus isn't concerned about the situation the boat is in. Even when he's woken up, he isn't worried or scared. He just tells the storm off. He demonstrates his total control over nature. Jesus isn't even the slightest bit concerned about this storm. In the same way, we can trust that God has every situation under control. If Jesus is willing to sleep in a violent storm, under the protection of God the Father, then we can have the comfort that God will protect us. And we'll discuss this in detail uh, in a little bit. But having looked at Jesus' sleep, let's move forward to his response to being woken up then. Out of fear, the disciples decide to wake up Jesus and ask him for help. Luke tells us they said to Jesus, Master, Master, we are perishing. Having been woken up, Jesus then rebukes and calms the storm and then rebukes the disciples saying, where is your faith? Jesus isn't done rebuking with the wind and the waves, but he challenges the apostles for their lack of faith. Christ is shown here to have equal command over nature and his followers. He doesn't respond with sympathy towards the disciples. Oh, poor you, was, was that scary? But instead, he gives them a really challenging question. Jesus' comments to the disciples might not make immediate sense to you. They've had the faith to wake Jesus in the expectation that he can help them. And instead of sympathizing with them, Jesus rebukes them. But the issue lies in the apostles' fear in the verses before they wake Jesus. They clearly believe they are genuinely about to die. And asking God to help them is their last resort. Their fear takes over and they never consider that God is watching over them. 
all three accounts of this story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke never record any of the disciples even saying a prayer. Instead, they only rely on Jesus' physical awake presence. One theologian asks while reading this passage, how often are we over-anxious about the enterprises of our Lord? Think about that. How often do we question whether God is actually protecting us when we can't see the direct impact that he is having? If we were in the disciples' shoes, would we be content with Jesus sleeping on the boat, or would we fear so much that we would wake him up? <laughs> yeah. God has a plan for the world, uh, and a good plan, and one that we are a part of. So there's no need to be overcome by fear when he is on our side. In fact, this story and the whole word of the Lord is hugely encouraging to us as we face metaphorical and literal storms. In London many years ago, there was a man called John Owen who attended a church meeting hoping to hear from a famous pastor called Edmund Callamy. When he arrived, however, Edmund couldn't make it, so instead a little-known backup pastor spoke from this passage in Matthew instead. And it's Jesus' words to the disciples, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? That John Owen heard, and I quote, he was immediately brought into a new sense of peace and assurance. Going on to become a respected theologian and author, John Owen often looked back to this passage in his writings. And his sense of peace and assurance stems from the fact that there is no need for excessive fear, no need to be so afraid when we have a well-grounded faith. The knowledge that God is always with us and that he has a plan is enough to satisfy us. So authentic faith gives us hope and takes away unnecessary fear in tough and scary situations. I want to clarify, however, this does not mean that we should never feel scared as Christians. Calvin puts it really well, and I should have the quote up here. We ought, not to, be we ought to be aware that it is not every kind of fear which indicates a want of faith, but only the dread which disturbs the peace of the conscience in such a manner that it does not rest on the promise of God. Essentially, as soon as our fear leads us to doubt our faith and weaken our hope in Christ, it's gone too far. Some of you might be experiencing metaphorical storms at the moment. They might be small, they might feel like a few nuclear bombs. And it's important to make it clear that it is okay to feel fearful in these situations. There's a good kind of fear, one which God designed us to be able to experience. And Jesus is not telling the disciples off for having fear, but for the amount of fear that they have and the effect that it has on their hope and trust in God. It's also worth noting here that we go on to see all of the disciples become martyrs for Christ. They demonstrate authentic faith while actually perishing. The disciples don't display the same fear that they're demonstrating here when they're put to death. Instead, they trust in Christ and his promises. First of all, this makes it clear that it is possible for humans to strengthen their faith. If we've let ourselves down before, it's not too late to change. The, the disciples clearly did. And also, the disciples' deaths show us how, despite having the power to control every circumstance, God might not intervene in every storm. While Jesus did, have the storm, did calm the storm when he was woken up, God didn't stop the disciples from being killed for their faith, and with good reason. God has a plan, one which can involve stormy periods, and sometimes our storms have an essential purpose. 
so we can pray and we can trust that God is with us through the storms and we can be less fearful. But that doesn't mean that storms won't come and it doesn't mean that they'll go away as quickly as the one in this passage. Nonetheless, authentic faith is essential to helping us through the storm safely and with less fear. It provides us with the ultimate comfort. But what is authentic faith? I couldn't find a better way of explaining it than these few sentences which I have borrowed from someone else. It reads, this is what faith is, my friends. Positive certainty expressed in action. Authentic faith is not merely believing in God, it is believing God. Taking God at his word, living in obedience to his revelation, whatever the cost, because you know deep down in your bones that God will always do what he says, that his speaking is his doing. I'll read that last line again. Taking God at his word, living in obedience to his revelation, whatever the cost, because you know deep down in your bones that God will always do what he says, that his speaking is his doing. Isn't that incredible? God is totally consistent. His speaking is his doing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, explain the effect of our authentic faith and back up what we've just heard. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So authentic faith gives us hope and quells our fear in the storms. Some of you might be going through what feels like a storm at the moment, and whether it is big or small, you can have the confidence that Jesus... I'm going to let the plane go over. I didn't arrange for that. But we can have the confidence that Jesus can and will protect us. It might feel like the storm is still going. God might still have a purpose for it. But we can have less fear because of our faith. Some of you might not relate to these metaphorical storms of life, if things are going swimmingly, then now's the time to be strengthening that faith to prepare for those times when storms do come. The storms on the Sea of Galilee develop suddenly and violently, and this can happen in exactly the same way in our lives. Storms and scary situations can appear seemingly from nowhere, so be prepared with an authentic, well-rooted faith. So we've looked at Jesus' total control as he takes a nap on a boat in stormy seas, and we've explored how our faith in him can give us hope and a reason to have less fear. Now we're going to focus on how we can strengthen that faith. It's all good saying what faith is but, and how it is good, but how can we make our faith authentic and well-rooted? How can we gain more faith? Well, to borrow someone else's words again, by immersing yourself in the faith-arousing word of God, read of Jesus Christ, the same powerful word that long ago brought the universe to life, is the same word that can bring you to life and furnish you with a faith that is truly and authentically Christian. Romans 10.17 explains this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Take this passage in Luke that we've been looking at. We can learn so much about the power and nature of God from his calming of the storm. And through hearing this passage, we can nurture our faith in God's amazing power. Jesus simply speaks to the wind and the waves, and they stop. He's just stopped more than a nuclear bomb in its tracks. And in the same way that God created the seas and the air in Genesis, simply by speaking them into existence, 
Christ now controls them simply by speaking. The amazing thing about God's infinite power, can I let the plane go over again? Oh, that was a quiet one, okay. The amazing thing about God's infinite power is that we will never be able to comprehend just how big it is. Uh, I'm fascinated by the mathematical concept of infinity. Uh, I could talk for hours on it, which I realize now sounds quite sad, but (laughs) it is interesting, and it has a lot of parallels to God's power. One important concept is that any number, any real number, divided by infinity is zero. Any number compared to infinity is infinitely small. And similarly, similarly, the power of a storm or a nuclear bomb is infinitely small when compared to God's infinite power. Anything from bacteria or atoms themselves to huge forces of nature like storms, hurricanes, volcanoes, they are all infinitely small compared to God. They're not just a bit small. It wasn't a minor inconvenience for God to stop the storm. It is nothing. Knowing that God is the creator of the universe is so encouraging because it gives us that total assurance that he can do anything, including calming a storm just by speaking to it. For us, that means that God has the power to stop any storms we are facing, whether it's the smallest inconvenience when you're having a bad day, maybe you've lost your favorite pen, or if it's the biggest storm you've ever faced, months of fear and pain day after day, God has infinite power over your situation. Again, this is an important point to stop and say that this does not mean he will resolve it straight away. God has a plan, and as much as it hurts him, sometimes that plan puts us in stormy situations. But we can take encouragement that Jesus himself went through possibly the worst storm of all as part of God's plan when he was crucified. In Luke 22:42, just before Jesus is arrested, he prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He knows he's about to be put to a painful, slow, agonizing death, but also wants the will of God the Father to be done. And he has the comfort in knowing that God is with him. So this story isn't just a challenge to remind us to ground our faith, but an encouragement and a reason to have faith in Christ through thick and thin. We're not blindly following, but wholly trusting in God. And we can have that trust because God is all-powerful. And what happens after God uses his power? Having calmed the storm, the apostles marvel at Jesus. They say, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Think about how the disciples respond to Christ's miracle here. They marvel at him. It's so important when we receive an answer to prayer or when we're brought out of a tough situation to praise God and remember how incredible he is. Let's not take answers to prayer lightly, but remember the incredible work that he's done and remember how he's protected us and loved us. Not only is this our praise to God, but this will then serve as a reminder when storms come around again that God has protected us before and he can do it again. So in the knowledge of God's power and understanding why Jesus questions the disciples' faith, how can we respond to this passage? Well, we can be challenged to think about how we might trust in God in the metaphorical storms of life. Do we keep our faith grounded in him, or are we likely to let fear get the better of us? Where is our faith? And if our faith is not where it should be, where do we look? 
to his word. God's word points us back to itself through a greater understanding of and through a greater understanding of scripture, we can develop a greater faith in God. Looking at Romans 10:17 that we read earlier, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We should also be encouraged by this passage. It's incomprehensibly amazing that God has the power to control everything in the natural world. We can be so comforted by the fact that he created us and the world around us for his glory. And that's another reason to have faith in him. And also, very importantly, we have learned more about the character of Christ, the perfect role model from this passage. Christ cares for and shows compassion for his disciples by calming the storm and also by challenging their faith when it is failing. We're not called to rebuke storms, but we are called in Genesis to be stewards of God's creation, to look after the world that he's created and to look after one another. So that includes encouraging and challenging one another in our faith. I want to leave you thinking about Jesus' question in these verses. Where is your faith? I would imagine that almost, if not all of you, are probably thinking it's not where it could be or should be. And that's not something that should discourage us, but it should encourage us to spend more time with God in prayer and in scripture, working on strengthening our faith. I'll pray to finish now as the band come up to lead us in a response. Lord God, we thank you that we have your word. We thank you that we can learn about you uh, and your actions uh, on the earth uh, when you came down to save us. We thank you that you calmed the storm for those disciples. And we thank you about everything that we can learn from that story. Thank you that you do have infinite power over every situation in our lives. And thank you that we can have comfort in you uh, and through our faith, we can have less fear in those stormy situations. We pray that we could be reminded of that as we go out and uh, experience any of those storms. Uh, and we pray that we could also spend more time praying and reading your word so that we could be prepared for those storms in the future, uh, so that we could have a truly authentic faith. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>